Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. The Dialogue Known as the Crito by Plato Part 1 Crito is one of Socrates' oldest and closest friends. If you listened to or read the Apology, you might remember that Crito was present at Socrates' trial. In this dialogue, Crito attempts to persuade Socrates to escape from Athens and his execution, and take up residence elsewhere. There is a great deal of evidence that suggests that the authorities of Athens would have welcomed such an escape. It is certainly the case that the Athenians were not keen on the prospect of killing Socrates, one of their most famous citizens, despite their evident annoyance with him and his practice of philosophy. Because of a religious observance, Socrates' execution was delayed for about a month after his trial. This dialogue begins as the return of the ship from Delos signals the end of the observance, and thus that Socrates' execution is imminent. Everything in Crito's tone indicates an overflow of emotional urgency. Although he presents a series of reasons for Socrates to escape, they are not well-considered reasons from a Socratic viewpoint, and Crito's emotional urgency is a way to cover over the weakness of his arguments. One can easily imagine the flood of words from his mouth, like a train hurtling headlong down the tracks, intent upon carrying Socrates along on the strength of their momentum. Crito by Plato Written 360 BCE, translated by Benjamin Jowett. Persons of the Dialogue Socrates, Crito. Scene, the prison of Socrates. Why have you come at this hour, Crito? It must be quite early. Yes, certainly. What is the exact time? The dawn is breaking. I wonder the keeper of the prison would let you in. He knows me because I have often come, Socrates. Moreover, I have done him a kindness. And are you only just come? No, I came some time ago. Then why did you sit and say nothing instead of awaking me at once? Why, indeed, Socrates, I myself would rather not have all this sleeplessness and sorrow. But I have been wondering at your peaceful slumbers. And that was the reason why I did not awaken you, because I wanted you to be out of pain. I have always thought you happy in the calmness of your temperament, but never did I see the like of the easy, cheerful way in which you bear this calamity. Why, Crito, when a man has reached my age, he ought not to be repining at the prospect of death. And yet other old men find themselves in similar misfortunes, and age does not prevent them from repining. That may be, but you have not told me why you come at this early hour. I come to bring you a message which is sad and painful, not as I believe to yourself, but to all of us who are your friends, and saddest of all to me. What? I suppose that the ship has come from Delos, on the arrival of which I am to die? No, the ship has not actually arrived, but she will probably be here today as persons who have come from Sunium tell me that they have left her there. 
and therefore tomorrow, Socrates, will be the last day of your life. Very well, Crito. If such is the will of God, I am willing. But my belief is that there will be a delay of a day. Why do you say this? I will tell you. I am to die on the day after the arrival of the ship. Yes, that is what the authorities say. But I do not think that the ship will be here until tomorrow. This I gather from a vision which I had last night, or rather only just now, when you fortunately allowed me to sleep. And what was the nature of the vision? There came to me the likeness of a woman, fair and comely, clothed in white raiment, who called to me and said, O Socrates, the third day hence to Phthia shalt thou go. What a singular dream, Socrates. There can be no doubt about the meaning, Crito, I think. Yes, the meaning is only too clear. But, oh, my beloved Socrates, let me entreat you once more to take my advice and escape, for if you die, I shall not only lose a friend who can never be replaced, but there is another evil. People who do not know you and me will believe that I might have saved you if I had been willing to give money, but that I did not care. Now, can there be a worse disgrace than this, that I should be thought to value money more than the life of a friend? For the many will not be persuaded that I wanted you to escape, and that you refused. But why, my dear Crito, should we care about the opinion of the many? Good men, and they are the only persons who are worth considering, will think of these things truly as they happened. But do you see, Socrates, that the opinion of the many must be regarded, as is evident in your own case, because they can do the very greatest evil to anyone who has lost their good opinion. I only wish, Crito, that they could, for then they could also do the greatest good, and that would be well. But the truth is that they can do neither good nor evil. They cannot make a man wise or make him foolish, and whatever they do is the result of chance. Well, I will not dispute about that. But please to tell me, Socrates, whether you are not acting out of regard to me and your other friends. Are you not afraid that if you escape hence we may get into trouble with the informers for having stolen you away, and lose either the whole or a great part of our property, or that even a worse evil may happen to us? Now, if this is your fear, be at ease, for in order to save you, we ought surely to run this or even a greater risk. Be persuaded, then, and do as I say. Yes, Crito, that is one fear which you mention, but by no means the only one. Fear not, Socrates. There are persons who at no great cost are willing to save you and bring you out of prison. And as for the informers, you may observe that they are far from being exorbitant in their demands. A little money will satisfy them. My means, which, as I am sure are ample, are at your service, and if you have a scruple about spending all mine, here are strangers who will give you the use of theirs. And one of them, Simeus the Theban, has brought a sum of money for this very purpose, and Cebes and many others are willing to spend their money too. I say, therefore, do not on that account hesitate about making your escape, and do not say, as you did in the court, that you will have a difficulty in knowing what to do with yourself if you escape, for men will love you in other places to which you may go, and not in Athens only. There are friends of mine in Thessaly, 
if you like to go to them, who will value and protect you, and no Thessalian will give you any trouble. Nor can I think that you are justified, Socrates, in betraying your own life when you might be saved. This is playing into the hands of your enemies and destroyers. And moreover, I should say that you are betraying your children, for you might bring them up and educate them, instead of which you go away and leave them, and they will have to take their chance. And if they do not meet with the usual fate of orphans, there will be small thanks to you. No man should bring children into the world who is unwilling to persevere to the end in their nurture and education. But you are choosing the easier part, as I think, not the better and manlier, which would rather have become one who professes virtue in all his actions, like yourself. And, indeed, I am ashamed not only of you, but of us who are your friends, when I reflect that this entire business of yours will be attributed to our want of courage. The trial need never have come on, or might have been brought to another issue. And the end of all, which is the crowning absurdity, will seem to have been permitted by us, through cowardice and baseness, who might have saved you, as you might have saved yourself, if we had been good for anything, for there was no difficulty in escaping. And we did not see how disgraceful, Socrates, and also miserable all this will be to us, as well as to you. Make up your mind, then, or rather, have your mind already made up, for the time of deliberation is over. And there is only one thing to be done, which must be done, if at all, this very night, and which any delay will render all but impossible. I beseech you, therefore, Socrates, to be persuaded by me, and to do as I say. Dear Crito, your zeal is invaluable, if a right one. But if wrong, the greater the zeal, the greater the evil. And therefore we ought to consider whether these things shall be done or not. For I am, and always have been, one of those natures who must be guided by reason. Whatever the reason may be which upon reflection appears to me to be the best, and now that this fortune has come upon me, I cannot put away the reasons which I have before given. The principles which I have hitherto honored and revered I still honor, and unless we can find other and better principles on the instant, I am certain not to agree with you. No, not even if the power of the multitude could inflict many more imprisonments, confiscations, deaths, frightening us like children with hobgoblin terrors. But what will be the fairest way of considering the question? Shall I return to your old argument about the opinions of men? some of which are to be regarded, and others, as we were saying, are not to be regarded? Now, were we right in maintaining this before I was condemned? And has the argument, which was once good, now proved to be talk for the sake of talking, in fact, an amusement only, and altogether vanity? That is what I want to consider with your help, Crito. Whether, under my present circumstances, the argument appears to be in any way different or not, and is to be allowed by me or disallowed. That argument, which, as I believe, is maintained by many who assume to be authorities, was to the effect, as I was saying, that the opinions of some men are to be regarded, and of other men not to be regarded. 
Now you, Crito, are a disinterested person who are not going to die tomorrow. At least there is no human probability of this, and you are therefore not liable to be deceived by the circumstances in which you are placed. Tell me then whether I am right in saying that some opinions, and the opinions of some men only, are to be valued, and other opinions, and the opinions of other men, are not to be valued. I ask you whether I was right in maintaining this. Certainly, Socrates. The good are to be regarded and not the bad? Yes. And the opinions of the wise are good? And the opinions of the unwise are evil? Certainly. And what was said about another matter? Was the disciple in gymnastics supposed to attend to the praise and blame and opinion of every man, or of one man only, his physician or trainer, whoever that was? Of one man only, Socrates. And he ought to fear the censure, and welcome the praise of that one only, and not of the many? Yes, that is clear. And he ought to live and train and eat and drink in the way which seems good to his single master who has understanding, rather than according to the opinion of all other men put together? True, Socrates. And if he disobeys and disregards the opinion and approval of the one, and regards the opinion of the many who have no understanding, will he not suffer evil? Certainly he will. And what will the evil be, whither tending? and what affecting in the disobedient person? Clearly, Socrates, affecting the body, that is what is destroyed by the evil. Very good. And is this not true, Crito, of other things which we need not separately enumerate? In the matter of just and unjust, fair and foul, good and evil, which are the subjects of our present consultation? Ought we to follow the opinion of the many, and to fear them, or the opinion of the one man who has understanding, and whom we ought to fear and reverence more than all the rest of the world, and whom deserting we shall destroy and injure that principle in us, which may be assumed to be improved by justice, and deteriorated by injustice. Is there not such a principle? Certainly there is, Socrates. Take a parallel instance. If Acting under the advice of men who have no understanding, we destroy that which is improvable by health and deteriorated by disease. When that has been destroyed, I say, would life be worth having? And that is, the body? Yes. Could we live having an evil and corrupted body? Certainly not. And will life be worth having, if that higher part of man be depraved, which is improved by justice? and deteriorated by injustice? Do we suppose that principle, whatever it may be in man, which has to do with justice and injustice, to be inferior to the body? Certainly not. More honored, then. Far more honored. Then, my friend, we must not regard what the many say of us, but what he the one man who has understanding of just and unjust will say, and what the truth will say. And therefore, 
you begin in error when you suggest that we should regard the opinion of the many about just and unjust, good and evil, honorable and dishonorable. Well, someone will say, but the many can kill us. Yes, Socrates, that will clearly be the answer. That is true, Crito, but still I find with surprise that the old argument is, as I conceive, unshaken as ever, and I should like to know whether I may say the same of another proposition, that not life, but a good life, is to be chiefly valued? Yes, that also remains, and a good life is equivalent to a just and honorable one. That holds also? Yes, that holds. From these premises, I proceed to argue the question whether I ought or ought not to try to escape without the consent of the Athenians. And if I am clearly right in escaping, then I will make the attempt. But if not, I will abstain. The other considerations which you mention, of money and loss of character, and the duty of educating children, are, I fear, only the doctrines of the multitude who would be as ready to call people to life if they were able, as they are to put them to death, and with as little reason. But now, since the argument has thus far prevailed, the only question which remains to be considered is, whether we shall do rightly, either in escaping, or in suffering others to aid in our escape, and paying them in money and thanks, or whether we shall not do rightly. And if the latter, then death or any other calamity which may ensue on my remaining here must not be allowed to enter into the calculation. I think that you are right, Socrates. How then shall we proceed? Let us consider the matter together, and do you either refute me if you can, and I will be convinced, or else cease, my dear friend, from repeating to me that I ought to escape against the wishes of the Athenians for I am extremely desirous to be persuaded by you, but not against my own better judgment. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, t'will be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right.